IDBM Challenge Podcast, Episode 2. Antti Sonninen is heading the Slush Tokyo movement in Japan, and in this episode we talk about decoupling hierarchies, cultural revolution and necktie bands. Enjoy! Hello, welcome to um, yet another episode of Behind Three Chairs. I'm your host Miikka Lehtonen and I'm joined today uh, by Antti Sonninen from Slash Tokyo. Uh, welcome to the show, Antti. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. It's great to be on the show. Awesome. Um, so today we are going to talk about Slash Tokyo and how do you how do you start a movement and how does it how has it developed over the years? Um, but could you? Could you start by telling a bit about your background? Like, where do you come from and what have you done? Sure. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, um, my name is Antti, just like you mentioned. I run this thing called uh, Slush Tokyo. Um, I've been doing uh, quite a few different things previously. Um, I, I graduated from Alta University. Uh, I had a bachelor in uh, telecommunications engineering and then a master's in in, uh, in uh, basically IDBM. I think uh, maybe there's a lot, quite quite some people in the audience who know that course. So like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of from uh, a similar background. Uh, then <clears throat> after that, um, basically I've had, I've worked in a few, few tech companies after graduation uh, the most notable ones are the, like the big, one of the biggest gigs after my graduation was working at uh, Rovio, the, the company that makes uh, this game called Angry Birds, among others. And uh, yeah, that brought me to uh, Japan. And uh, then later on, uh, through that gig, I got involved with a lot of Japanese startups and Asian startups, and then. Uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, was running a company called uh, Beatrobo, which raised a Series A in 2014. Hiroshi was the CEO. Uh, he invited me to join as as, as CEO of the, the, the company uh, to do take 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 the company's business to the next level. So then I did that next, and around that time, like uh, I, I was doing this slush Tokyo thing as a, kind of a weekend project at the time. That was in the beginning of 2015, and like the next thing I know, like at some point it actually took over. Like uh, it became like the biggest project of that I'm involved with. Um, yeah, so that was beginning of 2015, uh, and uh, we've done three events, and uh, last one was 2017 spring. And yeah, uh, that's where we are now. Thank you, Antti. I mean, you you've been doing quite amazing things, um, and. Can you elaborate a bit on the reasons, like why you joined this uh, slash Tokyo movement? I just noticed that I wanted to work in like a lot of uh, us Finns are are very familiar with with ice hockey. So instead of playing in a local league, I wanted to play in the in the NHL of, of startups. And basically, uh, because of that, I wanted to. Uh, be whatever I do. I wanted to wanted to do at the, the I want to do it at the best level of of the world. And and then I I just felt that through these two different gigs, 
I, I thought that uh, the ecosystem that I was seeing in Japan uh, could uh, use some help in like looking for uh, looking at bigger bigger uh, uh, objectives and like dreaming dreaming a lot bigger and uh, then this idea of building this tech event and tech community uh, then came about in 2014 Helsinki. We just uh, decided that we're going to do something something uh, that is going to be massive in scale and like it's going to raise uh, the bar in in, in uh, people's uh, ambitions and like we're we're going to create a community where that uh, breeds or like creates these these really high aiming entrepreneurs. So that's how we got started in 2015. Hmm. And I mean, like the community has been growing quite fast. I mean, how many how many people can I do you include nowadays in the in the slash Tokyo group or family or? Yeah. So there's many ways to like measure a community. I mean, uh, like a very simple one is like the most visible part of our community is the actual event that the big event that we run once a year. Mm. That has been 2015. We had. 3,000 people, next year had 4,000, this year we had 5,000. So um, we're like getting pretty sizable. At this point, we are already, in terms of attendance size, we're the largest tech event in Japan. Um, or or uh, there's some like more traditional technology events that are bigger in attendance size. But like if you look at tech events in terms of like the startup point of view, like we're, we're the largest. Uh, that, that that's like only like one way to measure things though like people come to an event they might see things and then they might leave and like do something else mm. uh, we have a very uh, active volunteer community as well uh, the event is built by 500 volunteers uh, there's people who have been, worked at us uh, uh, have gone to work for uh, yeah, some of the most notable VC companies and tech companies in in Japan. Uh, the the kind of next uh, we we still haven't. We've been running the uh, event for two years and a half, so like we haven't yet, at least, been able to create uh, a unicorn, which means like one billion market cap valuated company through our community yet but mm-hmm. I think usually that takes like at least five years before that's born so like hopefully the seeds, seeds, seeds of the first unicorns are already planted in our community and like we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully see some uh, some good results soon I think like that's like the measure of it's very easy to run a community it's very easy to run an event I think the why are we doing this in the first place? We want to create like some of the most exciting companies uh, in this area. Uh, groups of people, companies around is something that I also, of course, want to see. So, uh, looking forward to seeing some really, really, really great companies uh, breaking through very soon. Mm, yeah. What's What's your take on this? Like, how has Japan changed over these years that Slash Tokyo has been organized? So we started in uh, early 2015 when this when we're we're doing this 
uh, talk with you now, like in, in, in mid-August 2017, so two years and a half has passed past. Um, basically, like we organized, uh, decided to organize our event uh, and community over a few basic pillars. One being that we organize all the major aspect, major parts of the program in English, uh, which serves two purposes. One, it cre creates an uh, easy to easy to join platform for uh, some of the smartest people in the world to join. Um, there's a lot of tech events and communities that operate in Japanese and like this kind of English speaking or like uh, English is not the point, but there just seems to be a lot of like smart people around the world who speak English. So because of that, we saw that there's a distinct need for that. Um, that's one. Another thing is that we also like provide a, a, a launch pad for some of the best Japanese tech companies to try their try their product outside in the in, in the outside world. So we're bringing the rest of the world to Japan and Japan to the world. I think like one of the reasons why we wanna wanna especially get some of the smartest people from around the world here is that that's actually like how how Silicon Valley. Uh, works best. Uh, I was there just last week, and, and there's some 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 really brilliant minds that like want to live there, want to work there, and it just creates this like huge network effect of like uh, amazing talent uh, there that then creates like the best companies, and then like the most mm, we've, we're, the best companies are, when the best companies are born there, and it also creates this really vibrant. Uh, way of living and like uh, and there as well so <clears throat> yeah we organized in English another thing that we've been very much uh, very much focusing on is that uh, like decoupling uh, some of the existing hierarchies that exist in the in the tech scene over here um, some of the tech a lot of the tech events used to be Major tech events used to be invitation only here. It makes it easier for high-level people to meet, talk to each other. When you do things invitation only, it, it becomes a bit hard to scale the event. And also, like, of course, like there's large invitation only events that happen around the world, like uh, the, the, the yearly meeting at Davos of World Economic Forum is like a pretty major invitation only event. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, basically, what we were aiming for is like uh, not uh, very intensive, like very high quality matchmaking with uh, like high level individuals. Of course, we want to do that as well. But like one problem that we were seeing is that even if we brought some really heavy hitters from around the world to Japan, or like when we were trying to uh, take some of the uh, best entrepreneurs from Japan to the rest of the world, we saw hesitance to to kind of uh, uh, cross the chasm or like talk to the other side. Like foreign entrepreneurs were kind of uh, hesitant to join these uh, Japanese-speaking events where people weren't that actively even looking for foreign contacts. And then also like uh, a lot of the domestic market focused Japanese entrepreneurs, they were like they didn't often see the value of like why why should I talk to the founder of Blue Bottle Coffee or mm -hmm. Angry Birds or, or like whoever so 
uh, we felt that there was like a lot of lot of like opportunity or, or like uh, like potential that is being totally being not used. So uh, we uh, we deco- we made it not invitation only. Basically, if you just register uh, or or buy a ticket, you can join. And also, like we made it so that it's organized by young student volunteers. So it also like. Uh, decouples uh, like uh, age-related hierarchy in society traditionally in like East Asian especially Japanese culture are like in big companies salaries are decided by age we also like when made the event uh, a lot of fun like the people who build our event when they're not building their event they're they're building Fuji Rock which is the largest rock concert in Japan basically are thinking that that basically like what are in the age of the internet the age of YouTube Wikipedia Khan Academy what uh, purpose do events or communities serve so I think these kind of events or conferences previously like they were the only place where you could get like the latest information or latest uh, 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 trends of, of a certain industry so one thing that we have done the event, we've made it uh, more about networking. So basically, like we, all of our sessions in our program, like they are, the point of them is not to deliver. Like, of course, there's a lot of great insights that you're gonna have about like blockchain or entrepreneurship or investment or whatever. But more than that, specific insight is actually like a conversation starter. A lot of like uh, people, we want people who don't know each other to talk to each other. And we want also the speakers to talk to uh, each other, to the attendees, investors to talk to startups. And like, uh, it's just like having some sort of program going on. Uh, Of course, the better the program, the better the result. But like having program going on is is like the best way to uh, create this. It's it's more like this kind of like... uh, uh, like a bonfire thing that people look at or like a, uh, it creates a nice atmosphere that makes people talk to each other. So uh, these are the things that we've been working hard at, like changing with Slush Tokyo. Uh, if I recap, like uh, global, we do everything in English. So it helps both foreigners and Japanese people. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, open inclusive we decoupled the hierarchies uh, no no invitation only policy and like it's the community is built by young people and uh, then uh, like this new paradigm of events uh, focusing on the content is of course good but like events nowadays because you can do so many things over Skype email slack whatever so like what is the point of like people to come to the same place and in, in the in the first place in this era it's it's like bringing new people together and getting excited about stuff so events should be fun uh more, more most importantly nowadays so that's what we've been doing and like uh there's actually like once we started uh, there were some notable events that uh, decided to change their ling- language to English as well. Some of them started hire- hiring like projection mapping professionals to their, design their events. Um, people started putting a lot more effort, effort in, in, in like being more inclusive in the, the invitations and like uh, 
putting more efforts into into uh, involving student volunteers hmm. and like we've been basically like even like people who told like they're not who told us that they those things are not uh, needed in the first place so so it's been uh, very interesting to see see that change and and like we do feel that uh, we're working on some something very uh, in, important because like uh, this this we're seeing a lot of people changing their behavior based on what what we're doing like since we're in this not for the money but for like the societal change basically we want to create a, a cultural revolution of entrepreneurship um, because of that like it's really inspiring to see like all these all these folks uh, uh, basically like changing their directions for what we think is, is, is better hmm. you've been mentioning quite often about kind of this cultural revolution what kind of resistance have you in encountered along the way and, and how do you deal with that? So there's a lot of uh, resistance of course that we've received like for example the like some of the money of the other communities are invitation only and basically uh, when there's an invitation only policy then you need to start looking at who is making the invitations and like uh, if you look at like who's making the invitations then you need to be very good friends with those people who uh, make those invitations to to get to the circles that you want. Mm. So, like, actually, like some of the other major events or communities, he actually had like a blacklist. Um, so, if you do something that the organizers of that community are not pleased with, uh, like in in some of these other events cases, like you got on the blacklist pretty quick. Um, so, and like when we started doing the, with this open approach, like a lot of people were thinking that we're going to fail, mm. that like this system is not credible. It can never attract like the high, high, high enough level people because like they're so used to this invitation only thing. People thought that, that we were going to get like, uh, somehow like, uh, attacked one way or another by like trying to like open up this thing that was, was like not so available to everybody previously mm. that's one thing uh, another thing is like our decision to make the thing in english was actually like uh, that there was a lot of resistance for that like in the beginning there were a lot of people who were very worried that uh if japanese speakers or startups can speak proper english and whether or not they uh, or if they are gonna look embarrassing on stage because they can't speak and like there was even an idea of like putting uh, teleprompters on the stage where people could read uh, what they're about to say on stage. But like we decided not to do that because like uh, we want to have an event or a community where uh, it's not about the perfect delivery mm. of a certain speech. And like that acts as a metaphor for like a um, like a lot more bigger action in society because like it's like building the next game-changing company is also like not about being perfectly prepared or like having the best delivered speech or best delivered company there is it's like sometimes you need to kind of play by ear a little bit and and uh, you're gonna 
take some punches somewhere, but then like uh, you're gonna you make it big in the end. Like at this this age, where where like uh, things are changing at such a fast fast pace, it's it's like uh, it's like done is better than perfect mm-hmm. in many times. So that's something. But like there were so many people that in the beginning who thought that like doing this in English is already like way too aggressive of a goal, but Actually, like after the first event, a lot of the uh, doubters uh, came to came to say, uh, talk to me and said that I uh, actually like uh, they they were happy with the choice of going with English and like uh, although there were some people who did have some issues in the presentation, we did provide free uh, pitch and keynote uh, coaching where. Mm-hmm. People could uh, come and listen, uh, practice on on their presentation in English, uh, and and seem to have worked a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was initially like seemed very difficult. But like, uh, we're pretty happy that we didn't budge on that because uh, we thought that we would be would have to compromise the whole global aspect if we would compromise that. That was pretty hard. Yeah, like another also like the resistance is like because this new sort of, uh, type of an event that we were building that just there was something like it that just didn't exist in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were kind of building a new culture and like most people were just very doubtful if it's ever going to work. Now it's working. It's growing. Um, so very happy to do that. And also like since Lush is actually like a global community, there's four major cities uh, in the, uh, that organize events. Those being, besides Tokyo, there's also Shanghai, Singapore, and Helsinki. And like, for example, this hierarchy stuff isn't something that uh, the guys in Helsinki or Singapore have had to tackle, because it's something that is a bit more unique to the Japanese setting. So. Um, like there's some things with that we have been able to learn from our peers in other cities and there's some things that we've just needed to invent on our own so we just saw that there's like this thing we didn't kind of set out to do this because it was cool or because we were going to make a lot of money this is like a project that like the project started doing itself and like we noticed that oh oh the project like just started working on that. Like I think some of the coolest stuff I worked ever on is is like things that just like won't leave you alone and you notice that you're coming back and back on them. So I guess that's how we made it happen. Mm. And I guess it's also like whenever you find resistance or like when whenever people kind of react really strongly to towards like what you are doing, that's always a good sign because it means that you know people care about this and. I don't know how how do you feel about this? It's kind of like if there's a strong resistance like like I always try to think like what why is that happening and like uh, they might be actually right. I'm just trying to think like very objectively and try not to get too too like uh, carried away with like uh, you know some people if they start their own project like they might get defensive or emotional of like the project that they have started like if someone tries to shoot it down but like we're trying to be very like rational and objective and think like is this needed or not but like this sort of a like a vibrant international community was something that a lot of people around us seem to be 
looking for and like there's nobody building it so we we just have felt like even though the resist resistance is there there we intuitively felt that like there must be a need for something like this and frankly you never know on, on, uh, before you actually try to make it happen build it and then uh, then you'll see if if you were right or not like now right now we're at a point where it seems starting to look like that we 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 got some of some of the points or some of the ideas right at least because there's been such a demand uh, it's just important like this kind of resistance actually can be a great fuel to do the right thing it of course makes things on the short term a lot harder because like you need to find like several like tactical uh, uh, solutions and like how to navigate get to the next few steps because otherwise like some of you might get shut down or shut, or, or something but this resistance usually happens either if you're completely wrong yourself or then like you are actually right but you have uh, hit such a you know, sensitive place that are upholding or benefiting from keeping the status quo as it is. Mm. They're all up in arms because you're kind of trying to disrupt the, 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 the kind of model that they have previously worked on. So, you know, sometimes this can be the resistance can be a very good thing if, 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 if it might give you some tips on like what you need to do next. Mm. That's a good point. But then you also had some like um, kind of really, really concrete examples or like initiatives within the event. Like how do you like showcasing how you want to change the culture or the mindset. And one of them was this, uh, this no necktie rule. Yeah, that was actually like one of when we first organized the event uh, in 2015. We were kind of not sure what this kind of new event or new culture that we were building was going to look like or how it would be perceived. Mm. Um, since we wanted to boost the experience aspect of the event rather than the actual uh, traditional approach of like sitting and listening to all the talks, uh, we wanted to emphasize the experience and like getting to getting out of your comfort zone and like talk to people that you haven't talked to so i mean like suits are great formal attire is great they make you look like you know what you're doing and like you are you know, they can make you look stylish they can make you look that you're not here uh, that you're like sincere or like hardworking or something it depends all on the context one thing that is different in in japan and many other countries is that this goes for Finland, the USA, most European countries. I mean, like, suits exist in the West as well. But I would say that here in Japan, they are even a, even a stronger symbol or stronger. Uh, it's something that if you have, like, a white-collar uh, office work job or, like, non-physical non work job, you're pretty much expected to wear a suit. And uh, we just wanted to, we felt that like since a lot of these traditional events in Japan, they are often like a, a black sea of suits. We were kind of thinking like, how is it, how are things going to work out if we're going to have a bunch of people show up all in suits? So we had that, we, we came up with this tongue in cheek, no necktie rule. 
it wasn't like a really like a real role like there were several people who came with a suit and a necktie and like we did say that hey can you remove your necktie but like if they really wanted to come in like we're like okay fine but we just like wanted to kind of shake up things and make people think that is that like why do you put that on and like there are several good reasons to put on a, on, on, a, on a necktie. I, I sometimes wear a necktie myself. But uh, like I felt like a lot of people were just putting it on out of habit in also situations where like confirming to a set of established set of norms uh, is not necessary. Like for example, when you're trying to be creative with a new business model or like uh, a new product. Sometimes like being a bit wacky and like uh, going going all crazy on something is like might help you find like uh, a new uh, better outcome, a new way to build build stuff and, and like do things that someone hasn't uh, figured out before. So we wanted to see like if we would be able to create new forms of communication by by like making people think about wearing that tie or not it, it was something that made people kind of laugh most people kind of laughed about it and most people did take off their tie some people didn't but like it was all good like we, we didn't really mind that but yeah i think it partially like uh, contributed to making the uh, event atmosphere and the community atmosphere very lively and i, I think like it's, it's really cool because it's like a really small like seemingly small thing but when you connect it with with like your your overall vision of Japan or like how do you dream Japan to be in the future, I think there's like a really clear kind of path from this small policy into like this bigger dream in a way. I think all, all societies are gonna have some some like establishment uh, part to it, and like mm, our goal is not to like try to eliminate suits or or, or neckties like. <laughs> In the right setting and the right occasion, they can look like really stylish, and, and like I, I do do recognize that. I just felt I feel like, um, or what we see, what many many people also see, see that Japan recently has been uh, kind of there's a lot of like uh, good uh, economic growth after the Second World War from the 50s to the 90s, and then uh, uh, kind of the after the 90s, the kind of next big wave has been kind of waiting for itself. And like, meanwhile, the Japan Inc., corporate Japan has become very good at executing existing ideas. And uh, I think the, the, the uh, preference to all these suits is like one uh, embodiment of that, mm. one metaphor of that. So I think uh what what japan uh, could do better is like uh from from now is like uh like in the 50s and 90s like japan caught up with uh, the rest of the world and actually like went past mm. economy was growing really fast and it actually became like gdp wise if not the number one economy in the world like certainly like a top three economy and like people were talking about how Japan is so great in this and that. There are many things that people learned at that time, but then like also uh, society-wise, uh, a lot of the a lot of the success was first built.
building or, or adapting something something that was invented somewhere else and like uh, making your own version of that basically like following mm. something and I think like since Japan grew so fast economically that to like a pretty like number one or top three position in the world when you outrun all of the all of the best runners in a, in a race like then you need to stop stop following you need to start leading and i think this kind of paradigm shift has been waiting for itself uh in japan uh even still now that paradigm shift is something that we're uh, producing working on trying to produce ourselves so we want to make the community here the country here less of a follower more of a more more of a leader and uh, and uh, i think uh, what is needed for that is is like Coming up with new, unique ideas of of your own, and, and like it's it's like a small thing, but we wanted to. We felt that not wearing the necktie was a like fun, easy way to to kind of get one step closer to that. When when you talk about from like when you talk about the shift from following to leading, um, then it becomes a question of kind of mindset and self confidence. And I think like within that field, you guys have been doing tremendous work as well, right? Boosting the national confidence in a way. Yeah, like uh, we're we're like off to a pretty good start. I would it would be uh, pretty early here to like start claiming credit for some of the uh, things that are happening here. And like there's a lot of work to do, but basically like confidence comes from like from knowledge that you can do what you want want to do or or like you're kind of prepared in all kinds of situations and like yeah we're working very hard on on bringing more of this community here the country here like that people would come up with their own ideas like for example respecting silicon valley or respecting uh, like for example the what is happening in helsinki uh, recently is it's, it's great like respecting is great it's even better if you can like uh, uh build something better that someone else has built so our i think like confidence is gonna get born not from copying someone else but confidence is gonna get born from uh building stuff on your own and having the the uh the knowledge or having the conviction that you can do that things like that at will hmm. when when you talk about kind of finding your own vision or passion and kind of taking the leap to start following that passion or dream or whatever it is. Do you have any advice to to our listeners? Like, what can what can you do today to start following your dreams? I mean, first thing I like think of like why is like following your passion like worth in the in the uh, worth in the in the first place? I wouldn't like just like follow your passion or or like there's a lot of people say that follow your passion like. It it kind of sounds sounds cool on on <laughs> on podcasts or like keynote talks or whatever. Mm. But I do think like there is like good uh, some uh, nice takeaways in, in in that. Basically, like if I look at myself when I was working with at the the Angry Birds company Rovio, I, I had a pretty nice standing in the company. I had I was pretty financially in a secure position. Uh, yet I decided to walk away from that when I joined the Japanese startup Btrobo. I, for me, in 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 my case, case it just came down to like what what do I want to do in my life and what 
what what what makes me tick in in life and 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 uh, I noticed that for example that I like games of course um, I like entertainment but I noticed that for me like the most fascinating part <clears throat> about the company was rather the games although I really do like the games and like games in general it, it was more about like scaling an in, uh, phen- phenomenon internationally what was like very fascinating for me and like the how culture scale uh, how, how uh, phenomenon scales over different cultures how different people and different uh, contexts react to that that was like the most interesting thing for me and seeing like that thing grow and like when at the time when I left the company, there was 900 people there. The company was in a in a much more stable position than I than I had joined, and then I felt like hmm, I could be here and like be okay and like actually be uh, secure in pretty well, quite many traditional metrics. But like, um, yeah, I couldn't get rid rid of rid of this feeling of of, of like. Like that, I wanted to wanted to find the next challenge or, or find find uh, uh, the next thing that is gonna take me take me somewhere else. It's it's kind of yeah. I wouldn't like uh, I wouldn't be worried if if something that you're doing right now that you're not completely passionate about that. There's like in life, there's some some points where you the best way to do stuff is just to like grind through some some things at hand but of course like I think you should always have this dialogue going through in yourself in your head that is this the thing that I uh, enjoy doing for my life or is this going to take me to the uh, life that I want mm. perfect thank you so much Antti always a pleasure talking to you thanks to you as well uh, Happy, happy if this this helps somehow, uh, and and yeah, to everybody who's listening there, feel free to ping me on on your favorite social media of, of choice. I'm always always happy to get in, get involved with 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 new folks. So hit me up on 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 whatever Facebook, Twitter, or or something. I'm I'm with my my own name, Antti Sonnin over there. Fantastic. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for for yet another episode of Behind Three Chairs. Thank you.